Welcome to the 57th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders and intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we concluded the story of Thomas William Randolph Jr., the Merriam and Murderum wife killer. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. Hey, Mercedes, how are you? I'm good, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing well. Oh, good. I'm like looking at your screen going, man, she must not be blind like me. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm going to have to figure out how to increase my screen, my eyeballs. (laughs) So how's your week? I'm not a candidate, but that's okay. Oh, I barely was, but yeah. But my week's been okay. Yeah. Pretty pretty good. um, I've been listening to a new podcast. Which oh, I really? Like. Mm-hmm. What are you listening to? It's called The Troubles and okay. it's about the, you know, the troubles in Northern Ireland during the oh. IRA conflict with the Protestants, Catholics, and the British government. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It is really interesting, but I did a research paper in, in college on the IRA. So that mm-hmm. really fascinates me anyway. Yeah. I mean, that whole that was kind of like my focus in college was, uh, and when I was in college, I studied a lot of Irish and British literature and, you know, uh, I mean, it goes back centuries. This oh, yeah. so It was very interesting to read about it and um, you know, literature and whatnot. Oh yeah. All the way back to, you know, the 1400s and 1500s when William of Orange is sending the Scottish to North to over to Northern Ireland because he didn't want the Scottish. He's like, get out of here. So all the way back to them. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what you got for us this week? Well, I want to start off that with a couple of different things. Okay. Okay. So we, this week we will encounter a few Native American surnames. Okay. And one is quite prolific. Oh, okay. All right. I went down a rabbit hole trying to find more information so I went to Facebook and I looked, was looking for family members of the murder victim. And I did see a couple posts where the son was wishing his father a happy birthday. He would have been like 56 this year, I think. And um, another one was shared. He shared a video blog, which I had already viewed and read about, but I didn't realize it was someone who was like childhood friends with his dad is the one who put out the video blog. So this so story- interesting. So it, how long ago did this murder happen? In the early 80s. Oh, so it's been a while. Mm-hmm. And there's a video blog. Well, it was recently put together. And the victim would have been 56 this year? Yes. He was oh. only like 23 when he was murdered. All right. I could be wrong on the dates, but I'm pretty, I'm almost positive that he All was right. um, 56. Yeah. yeah, that would be about right. Yeah, I bet that was heartbreaking to uh see a video like that yeah I mean, it was like a, but it was done by a family like a childhood friend of his okay so it was kind of moving and yeah yeah and it was kind right. of explaining 
Um, it didn't go too far back in the history. No, he might have been even younger because if he was, he was only 23 in 1983. Or maybe it was 87. 87. I'll figure out how old he was when he, you know, in a minute. So this story is incredibly sad and senseless as most murders are. But this man was deeply loved by all around him. It was truly a horrific crime. He wasn't like running with the wrong crowd or anything like that. He was really a victim of circumstance. So I will do my best to cover it with the utmost respect. It, um, I was not able to find a whole lot of background information on any of the parties involved. And um, I really, and I think that you and I have talked about this before. I really hate how sometimes the murderers seem to get the more, more publicity than the victims. Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of one of those cases. Right. And I, and I hate that. And really even the, the killers don't even have a whole lot out there. I mean, they have like three paragraphs on Murderpedia. There's not, and it was like, and it's only by like one article. So I had to go to several different kind of places to get my information. And I did all I got, and most of it, and I will tell you this. So um, most of the information came from the court transcripts of what happened. All right, so you ready? Yep, let's do this. Yeah, 87. Okay, so on the early morning of October 17th, 1987, and early morning, I mean like shortly after midnight, uh, brothers Vernon and Lester kills on top. Kills on top. Did you research that name? Like how would you get that name? No, I did not research the name because I was already running behind. That's Uh, interesting. Kills on top. This would be like wrestling and you get on top and then you kill. Yeah. Well, they're Native American. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's always interesting how, how their names, how they come about their names. Yes. So that's the prolific one I'm saying. That's kind of, you know, but then there's one that's even like, what? (laughs) Okay. um, Vernon and Lester kills on top in an establishment called the Gold West Bar in Miles City, Montana. Um, There, they were accompanied by Diane Bullcoming. Okay. (laughs) I know. Okay. Let's just get it out. Get it out. And Loretta Forbear. Another young man by the name of John Martin, Marty Etchmendy was already there with a friend and had been enjoying his evening for quite some time. I mean, I say quite some time, but it was shortly after midnight. So he'd been there for a little while. Um, please be aware that the details from the testimony, the details from that I'm going to go over are testimony from Bill Cumming and from Forbear. All right, hold on. So two guys walk in a bar mm-hmm. with two girls. Yes. And there's another guy already in there with another friend. Yes. Okay. Are they Stop all your head and just let me tell the story? I know you're okay. reading my head. Stop. I'm trying to figure out who's walking in the bar. Okay. The people I said, <laughs> they were accompanied by Dill, by Dill, by Diane Bullcoming and Doretta Forbear. Another young man, Marty, he was already there. So, and then I said, most of this uh, um, testimony ah. came from the two girls, the two women. Right. Right. So when Marty was ready to leave the bar, he went outside, but he was unable to find his vehicle. And it doesn't ever, I don't find anywhere in any of the research I did why he was unable to find his vehicle, whether he was, you know, um, too intoxicated to figure out where his vehicle was or if he parked somewhere else or what. So that was never really like a contention of All right. details, I guess. So it was around this time that the brothers and their companions offered to help Marty find his vehicle. So they all got into a Dodge Duster, a black Dodge Duster. At first they drove to Highway 59, 
which I reckon is not, uh, reckon is not too far. <laughs> you did and- not. <laughs> oh my God. You reckon so, huh? And so they, uh, so they went to this major highway, which is, I imagine is kind of like the main highway. Cause then they get on that later. And then they looked a few places. They drove around on this highway looking for his car. I guess they just drive up, drove up and down the street and were like, oh, you don't find your car. So when they didn't find it, instead of heading back toward Mile, Mile City, they headed south to a city um, by the name of Ashland. It was then that Lester, Lester spoke in his native tongue, Northern Cheyenne, um, that they should roll him and steal from him. Don't those mean the same thing? Yeah, roll I think so. And steal yeah. from him? roll him is to take his wallet yeah yeah so but that's what it says so they would soon soon stop the vehicle to let the men out to urinate um lester and marty did begin to argue but marty voluntarily got back in the vehicle so at at this time he might have been a little aggravated i mean if he had been drinking too much you know he's probably you know he couldn't find his car he's just aggravated are these complete strangers to the to him? Yes. So they just met at this bar. They didn't know each other before. Yep. They all walked in there. Okay. Yes. So the party of five proceeded down Highway 59 and then onto another highway um, by the name of Highway 30, Highway 332. Again, headed toward this Ashland town and the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. As they were driving down the road, Lester began to assault Marty. He began beating and choking him in the back seat. So I don't know if he was like getting on his nerves or he just said, this is my opportunity. I'm going to try to whoop his ass here in the back seat. But Lester even attempted to force pills of some sort down Marty's throat. Diana, Diane Bill Cumming, Bull Cumming. Bull Cumming. Bull Cumming. I'm going to just refer to her as Diane. Would take. You have to say Bull Cumming. (laughs) Would take his take Marty's wallet from him at this time. And then Marty was ordered to empty his pockets. The group was able to take Marty's credit cards and two employment checks that he had in his wallet. As they reached an unpaved part of the highway, Diane um, Bull Cumming was ordered to stop the vehicle. At this time, both brothers. Bull Cumming is driving. Bull Cumming is driving. And both brothers ordered Marty out of the car. They began beating Marty again, and after having him undress, they shoved him in the trunk of the vehicle. It is noted that all happened off the reservation. This statement is made several times throughout the court transcripts. And this is based on the testimony of the two women. Yes, but towards the, at the end, I tell you why, because as I'm researching it, I don't know why they keep saying that. I have my ideas. I know why. I know why, but I won't say it. Why? Because did you read ahead? No, because I know that once it's, if it took place on the reservation, it's under different jurisdiction. Is it? Well, it's federal. Is it always? Okay. Well, let's just keep, I'm sure you're going to tell me. I am going to tell you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because you just got a very pedantic voice. (laughs) It was nearly nearly 5 a.m. And I do have to say, this is going to be a very quick one. It was nearly 5 a.m. And the group expanded by one. A Levon Queeraz? No? <laughs> Queeraz. Queeraz. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Q-U-I-R-O-Z. Yes. Queeraz. Sure. 
So Levon and Bernard attempted to siphon gas out of some other vehicles, and then they drove to Rabbit Town. A lot okay. of little interesting names here. Okay, where? I mean, they what? They were on a deserted road off the reservation, and now they're somewhere where they can get gas out of cars. Well, they're on a highway, and they pulled off All a right. road, beat the guy, undressed him, put him in the trunk. Now they're back on the road. All right. So it was nearly five a.m. They picked up Levon, and. They needed gas. So they attempted to siphon gas out of some vehicles and then they drove to Rabbit Town and they stole a toolbox from someone. So I'm assuming just a toolbox was in the back of somebody's truck. They're in a car. So it's at first I thought maybe it was like a big truck toolbox and they stole that, but they're in a car. So then I was like, no, it must just be a regular toolbox. So Doretta, forebear, became frightened of the others and their activities and she's like, I'm splitting. So she got, she bailed at this time and fled by going to a friend's house. The remaining group members used one of Marty's credit cards to buy gas. And then they headed out to a town called Broadus. Once they reached Broadus, which is again, off the reservation, Lester was able to cash one of Marty's checks for $179.31. He split the cash with his brother and then purchased a bottle of Everclear. Yeah. Gross. Diane Bullcoming suggested that they go to Gillette, Wyoming. And they were like, sure, this sounds like a great idea. Let's go. So the car road trip. Road trip. Yep. With a bottle. Have you said how old these people are? Well, Marty is 23. And the brothers weren't much older because they're in they're like 61 now. So the car. Then the car turned off on a, from the highway onto a side road. Marty was led out of the vehicle and was warned that he would be beaten with a lead or metal pipe um, that Vernon had, had in his hands. So he was like threatening him with this pipe. So if he tried to escape, they would beat him to death. Marty had previously been blindfolded and Vernon, for some reason, at some point removed his blindfold, which made his brother mad. So Lester became concerned that Marty would be able to identify them because Vernon took his blindfold off. I mean, Marty wasn't blindfolded when they met him at the freaking bar. Right. Does that make any sense? So Lester would then force, Mar oh, this is so gross, would force Marty to drink a mixture of beer and Everclear. That's disgusting. In the hopes of making him pass out. So he tried to force pills down his throat. Now he was making him drink this concoction of beer and Everclear. I told my husband about the beer in Everclear and he was like, that's gross. I mean, do they, what, I, what I'm thinking is like they made him drink it and then they would like chase it with Everclear or drink know. the Everclear and then chase it with beer. It just said a mixture of beer and Everclear. So they were hoping he would pass out. I'm surprised the concoction didn't kill him right there. Yeah. So that's ugh, gross. So he was ordered back into the trunk. And again, this was not on the reservation. So the group continued on to Biddle, Wyoming, mm. and arrived around 11 a.m. So I would think that they would be flipping exhausted. Like, you might need a nap. Or, I, and it doesn't say anything about drug use, but to me, I'm, I'm like, if they were drinking, and they, to me, it seems like they might be. Like, they're on meth or, you know, speed or. or yeah, but nothing about drugs was ever brought up during the court case anyway. Mm -hmm. So once in Biddle, they were able to cash the other check for an undisclosed amount. 
these were his paychecks. So I don't know if they were the same amount, but they only gave the total for the one. Mm-hmm. As the group drove south, they would stop twice. During one stop, Marty was told that he would be beaten if he opened his eyes. When back in the car, Lester spoke to Marty like through the back seat and told, and that's when Marty told him that he was married with two small children, both boys. So in Gillette, Wyoming, I'm sorry, go ahead. So he was basically kind of kidnapped or abducted. Yes. But he got in the car willingly. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. So while in Gillette, the, um, Lester would use one of the credit cards to get gas. Marty was made to drink the nasty concoction once again. Apparently, Marty had had enough of this crazy ride and began like beating the trunk and screaming for help. Lester told Vernon in their native tongue that they would have to kill him, kill Marty. The group thought that this was an appropriate time to visit a bar mm-hmm. and they left poor Marty in the trunk. So while in the bar, Lester and Diane would decide to take the car and leave Vernon and Levon at the bar. The pair would leave Gillette and took another side road, only stopping when they were not visible from the main road. So it was at this time Lester took the metal pipe, opened the trunk, and just began savagely beating Marty. In addition to the pipe, um, he beat Marty with a tire iron and finally in a rock. He also kicked him with heavy with his heavy boots. So I imagine because he was still in the trunk, he probably maybe was just lifting up his leg and almost like stomping him. Uh, Marty was crying out the entire time, screaming, oh, God, no, oh, God, no, which is just, I can't imagine. Yeah. So vicious. So Lester would throw the pipe and the tire iron into an open field. They would get back in the car and drove off. After a few feet, Lester told Diane to stop the car so he could go back and shoot Marty. Lester attempted to shoot Marty by placing a 22 caliber bullet in a vice grip and hitting the bullet with a hammer. So he doesn't have a gun. He just has a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't understand that, but the court transcripts only state that it was attempted. So I assume that it didn't work mm-hmm. because then later when I tell you the autopsy results, um, it doesn't say anything about a gunshot wound. Lester and Diane left the scene only to have two flat tires. These people do not have great luck. Two flat tires, and then they were forced to pull over in the parking lot of another lounge outside of Gillette. Oh, yeah. It just so happens that there's a lounge there to pull over when you have two flat tires. Yeah. So they pull over, and it is here that Lester attempts to cut Marty's- Wait, 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 wait. What? So puts the guy back? Oh, he never took him out of the trunk. He never took him out of the car. He was just doing all of this, like, in the trunk. He is one tough guy. I know. Bless his heart. So Diane- Oh, wait, I back up. It was here that Lester attempted to cut Marty's throat with a small knife. So he went back, tried to cut his throat. Diane went into the lounge, and sometime later, Lester would join her, letting her know that Marty um, Etchmendy was dead. So around 5 p.m., so, I mean, they are with this guy for a very long time. Around 5 p.m., Lester and Diane would finally meet back up with Vernon and LaVon again. They would purchase two new tires and then head to Buffalo, Wyoming before leaving the country. I mean, the county. They left Marty at the abandoned, at an abandoned community hall approximately 20 miles south of Gillette. All right. Now, I will tell you that, um, okay, here, I, I'm sorry. 
I tell you down here. A rancher was driving by and noticed the car parked at this community hall. He would later say that he saw three people walk over to the car, shut the trunk, and get in and drive off. However, they failed to close the gate at this abandoned community hall, so he drove after him. They were blinking his light, he was blinking his lights, and finally he drove ahead of them and stopped in the middle of the road, forcing <sighs> the Dodge Duster to come to a stop. And the wow. rancher, yeah, the rancher did take the plate down, the plate number, and noticed that it was a, a Montana plate. But then he told the group, hey, you didn't close the gate back there at the community hall. You need to go back and close it. So our band of merry men turned around and went and closed oh, the gate. Oh, yeah, that cowboy is going to kick their ass. You don't close that gate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they were like, okay, yes, sir. And so they did it. So the group would later stop in Sheridan, Wyoming to get a hotel. Vernon and LaVon would take off in the car, leaving the other two. They were like, peace out. We're out of here. Diane went into a store, purchased new clothes with one of the credit cards and Lester attempted to buy new boots at a different store, but the salesperson refused to take the credit card because it wasn't his. So they went on to a truck stop where they changed their clothes and then they ditched their, the old clothes. The pair would then hitchhike back to Billings, Montana using fake names the whole way there. On October 18th, the Yellowstone County law enforcement were told to be on the lookout for a black Dodge with four occupants that might be involved in an assault and kidnapping. That very same day, Vernon and LaVon were spotted, pulled over, and arrested. So has Marty's body been found? No. But he's missing it and everyone's looking for him. Yeah. And okay. then I guess the rancher probably called in the, because they said, because they knew that they were to look for a, a black Dodge, a black Dodge. And on October 19th, Lester was arrested at the home of Lorraine Four Colors. I left the R off. Prior to his arrest, Lester and Diane told Lorraine about the kidnapping, robbery, and murder of Marty. When Lester learned that his brother had been arrested, he instructed Diane to destroy all the credit cards. So also on October 19th, the body of Marty was located by law enforcement in the county, in the county hall, our community hall. An, an autopsy established that the cause of death was impact trauma to the back of the head and the left side of the head. The pathologist said that Marty had been injured in the head at least 45 minutes and up to 12 hours before he died. Oh God, poor guy. I know that's like consistent beating. In 1988, in a Montana, a Montana court found them guilty. Lester and Vernon kills on top guilty of deliberate homicide, aggravated kidnapping, and robbery. They were sentenced to death for the first two charges and 40 years in prison for the robbery charge. Sounds pretty cut and dry. Marty, But one of them didn't really participate in any of that, right? Didn't he just leave and go to the bar? Well, no, he beat him and kidnapped him for sure. Okay. All right. So Marty's son is quoted as saying he doesn't really feel one way or another about capital punishment. However, the nice thing about the death penalty is then you have closure. You know, they're dead. But unfortunately. Well, eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Unfortunately, their death sentences were overturned after an appeal by the Montana Supreme Court. Right. Why? And reduced to life in prison without parole. Then in the summer of 2019, a court decided that Vernon should be eligible for parole. Is Vernon the one that's, that went to the bar? Like he didn't really... I'm not saying he didn't really take part in the killing. He did, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after a parole hearing, 
a parole hearing would, ha would probably happen around 2020 or so. Of course, Marty's family is fighting to make sure that Vernon stays behind bars. And I'm going to tell you what happens to him. Okay. But so, like, so in July 2019, a Montana Supreme Court struck Vernon's kidnapping charge on the grounds of double jeopardy, saying that it stemmed from the facts, the same facts as his homicide charge. And because the kidnapping charge had a ban on parole, it made him eligible for parole. I don't really understand that. But, and how that could be double jeopardy, because I don't know, yeah, I guess the Montana Supreme Court knows more than me, obviously, but I don't know how that would be double jeopardy, because usually if you're found like, find guilty, or if you're found not guilty of a murder, you can then go, I did it, and they can't charge you again, because they can't charge you again for the same crime. But I guess because they're saying the same evidence was used in both, that would be double jeopardy. But they only found that for Vernon. They didn't find that for Lester. I am so confused. It's about, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really don't know why one would get off on the death penalty and get parole and the other well, one. Well, I think it has a, a stem from, to me, the, the Diane Bull coming or whatever her name is and the brother Lester, right? No, Vernon. Okay. No, so, Lester and Bull coming were the ones that. That drove away with Vernon and. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they drove away with uh, Marty, and they're the ones that inflicted, who ended up killing him. Yes. While yeah. the other guy was at the bar with the other girl. So right. I can see he didn't take part in the actual, he maybe took part in the abduction and some of the beating. But, but if, if, if Marty got in the car on his own and the only person who really beat him. Well, his murder charge didn't go away, though. Well, I mean. So the brothers, but here's the brothers also appealed on the grounds that Montana lacked jurisdiction to prosecute the crimes and that they, sh they should have been prosecuted in Wyoming because Marty died in Wyoming. They killed him in Wyoming. Huh. Well, there's that. There, yeah. So they argued that because they are both Native American and some of the crimes were committed within Indian country, they were subject subjected, they should be subjected to federal jurisdiction. Hence the reason for the several mentions not on the reservation. So who is arguing this? The prosecution or their, the their public, their defender? Okay, the brothers are arguing that they, okay. Should be getting federal, should have federal jurisdiction, which the federal government would fry your ass too. So um, the Supreme Court denied their appeals, stating that the evidence in this case clearly established that two elements of felony murder, that of the felony murder offense occurred in Montana, bringing this offense within the scope of state jurisdiction. Montana has the jurisdiction if committed, if the crime is committed partly within the state, either wholly or partly, like I said, partly within the state. Well, that's interesting. Yes, it gets, it, it, it gets a little bit more, so, you understand a little bit more in a second. Okay. The case evidence established that the kidnapping and the property and the robbery took place in Montana, thus giving the state authority. The state was able to prove that the felony kidnapping ultimately led to Marty's death. So because those two felonies that led to his death, that means Montana had the right, they had more right, right to, to that. The brothers continued to argue that part of the crime took, again, took place within Indian country and Montana had no jurisdiction. Montana, however, has jurisdiction for off-reservation offenses even if connected 
crime may have happened on the reservation. The kidnapping took place before they entered the reservation, meaning the state had the authority to prosecute, prosecute them. Right. That's true. Mm -hmm. The kills on top brothers were sentenced to serve their time in the Montana state prison. Lester remains in jail serving his life sentence while Vernon kills on top died less than a month ago. I tried to find out what led to his death, but Mm -hmm. I found one article that uh-huh. was it. And all it said was that he died at like 61 years old. Okay. And um, I tried to find out about their childhood. There was nothing. Uh, well, you can pretty much make a prediction based on what you know about life on a reservation. Right, right. And even the two women, I don't know what happened to them. And if they were charged with anything, I'm thinking that they probably meet might have gotten some small charges or they even got immunity. See, I almost think she, the one who was driving him everywhere, I mean, she had plenty of opportunity to go to the police mm-hmm. or call someone. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, but I also couldn't find like why Vernon died. Did he, you know, because he wasn't that old when he was in his 60s. So I wonder if it was, if it had, if it was COVID. I mean, who knows? You know, they, Okay, so I actually have a friend, well, childhood friend named Vernon, who just passed away. He got out of prison November 23rd or something like that. You know, he, I mean, we separated a long time ago. Like, our friendships, like, veered in different directions, you know. Right. But he was in prison, and he got out, and, you know, they don't exercise very well there. I mean, they don't have good food. Um, nutrition they don't have proper you know preventative care right so when he got out you know he was bloated and not in good shape at all so i I mean they believe that he died of a heart attack or something you know some sort of stroke or so who knows you know 60 um 60s in prison i mean it's a hard life yeah well and i'm i'm thinking they probably led a pretty you know fast and hard life prior to their prison time too. Now I did look up to see if I could find any information from the Montana state prison. Lester is still in prison. Okay. Obviously, but there's also like a younger kills on top in prison too. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a cycle in their family. Yeah. It's kind of like the native American that I did. What was his name? I cannot remember his name. It was a Sioux Indian. Yes, I remember that, but I can't remember his name. But there was a, it was a cycle. I mean, it, it's a stere- right. stereotypical cycle, but it does. And he had been in and out of prison, like, you know, in and out of prison more than he, yeah, and you're right. Well, that's terribly sad for um, Marty's and his family. All right. I told you it was a shorty. That's all well, I got. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting one. Because my next one I want to do. Uh-huh like is going to like i've said like oh my god um maybe that's where the the dinginess comes from anyway it's or reckon (laughs) i reckon it could be reckon it could be it's probably going to be a two-parter okay all right that that gives me a break you know yep 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 but i i've got a good one next week okay um 
I might need some extended a fledgling, a fledgling serial killer. Oh, okay. All right. We might have to maybe do a back-to-back one on you so I can get enough research in for the next one, but we'll see how that goes. All right. We'll talk. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share murderous stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it It wasn't wasn't me. me.